Good morning. How are you all? It's very bright, but uh, good morning to you. I wonder if you could turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. We've been on a series, if you've been gone for even six weeks, we're actually still on the same series, but um, we're going to do our best to end it here today. There's obviously much we could cover on the subject of partnering with the Lord. A lot, pretty much you could preach through the New Testament and call it partnering with the Lord. But there are certain things that I believe the Lord wanted us to cover. So last week we, we've been looking at David and something of David and how one of David's men um, fought in a barley field. He stood where the victory before his, uh, a couple decades before him, where actually David killed Goliath. And that's why he stood on that barley field. He stood on the victory of his king. You guys were here for that? It was last week. And when we stand on the victory of the cross, but nevertheless there's a battle. Who's ever wondered about that? The scripture tells us that, that it is finished, that all things have been put under his, well, all things will be put under his feet, but he defeated everything of the kingdom of darkness. He led it in his train. He decimated them. And yet we fight battles. Is it only me that's wondered about this? Hello. And when we stand on the ground where our king destroyed the splendor of the enemy, that's what Goliath means, splendor, which is the cross, and there stand for truth and justice, and there fight, it is in that place, what happened? It says that the sword froze or clave to his hand. When we stand on the victory of our king and we fight or we stand from a place of victory, not as a slave, not begging, and we use the truth of the word, it is in that place that something of God's word actually gets, it's like it becomes forged to us. How many of you know that some people can stand up here and talk about something, a subject or a a scripture or an area of life or of the New Testament or something, and there seems to be such authority in it, and you can have somebody else stand up here and talk about the same thing even more eloquently, but there doesn't seem to be the authority. Why? Because that person, and we all have this in different areas of our life, that person has stood sometimes alone, but they've stood with the Lord, with their king, and they arose and they fought with the truth until something of that truth, it's like it becomes forged to them. It's now a part of them. It's not something they have to fight for or contend for. It's, it's just like an extension of their arm. And that's what happens, but it only happens when we stand on the ground of the cross. Nowhere else. So last week I talked a little bit about addressing some of our, just some of the things going on in our day and in our world and in politics and so forth. But we got to the armor of God and we ended there. So I'm just going to pick up there and do our best to actually bring this series a little bit to a close and talk about the armor of God. Because we don't fight flesh and blood, yeah? Mm. But yet sometimes... We really want to. (laughs) We want to take it out on people. But let's go to Ephesians 6. 
and um, turn in your Bibles if you have one. I encourage you always, I'll keep encouraging you to have an actual physical Bible. I know online is easy, and it's easier, but as I've said before many times, sometimes when you do things old school, when you go to the library and you're looking for a book, you'll probably see something you weren't looking for, and maybe that's what you needed. It's the same when I take a physical Bible. That's just my opinion. I'll find something I wasn't looking for. When I take a digital one, it's very helpful. I use it all the time, but I get exactly what I want, what I'm looking for, what I think I need. But sometimes the Lord knows better, yeah? So, opening the Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. The armor of God. The armor of God is not something that I've actually heard taught on a whole bunch. It's something that we teach to children. Yeah? We teach it to children. And uh, one of the marked memories in my life was actually when I was, the first time I would say that I really, I would, the language I would use now is that I encountered the Lord, but as I got healed, I was in the bathroom, I was five or six, I can't remember, I was terribly sick, and everyone had prayed for me, and I was basically sleeping in the bathroom, because you know it was nasty, and I had a massive fever, and my hair was just, I was just very sick, and um, and there was a poster on the back of that bathroom wall of the armor of God. And it said, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And it went through Ephesians 6. We fight not flesh and blood. For some reason, as a little kid, I looked at that poster. I can still see it in my mind today. And I said, Jesus, you're stronger than this. Please help me. Some simple prayer. And I tell you, it's like God invaded that bathroom. And I walked out of there. I didn't know enough. I didn't know the scriptures. I, just, I was just a kid. And my mother tells me that when I walked into her room, it was like, you know, when a child gets up and they, and they get like, you know, they got out of the bath and everything's clean and combed and the hair's fresh and they look nice in their pajamas. She said, I looked like that. Like I was all clean. My hair was dry. And whereas a little while before, it was not like that. And so this thing of the armor of God is obviously personal to me. But it is not just something for children. It is extremely important in our day. And so we'll see as we look in verse 10, verse 11, and 12. Let me also just say this. This was written to saints in Ephesus. Ephesus was like the spiritual cafeteria of the day. It was, there was pagan temples and the, the, the goddess of Diana of the Ephesians and the, the big temple, her temple, and there were idols. People would, literally it was the place to go and buy idols and bow down and all these statues. And it was, in a sense, mythology was all around. Demons were all around. Different gods were all around. And often the time in the culture was they would still fight physically for what they believed in. So when Paul comes and he writes to the saints of Ephesus and he says, because sometimes we just take things for granted. We just read the Bible. We heard it as a kid. We don't recognize the radical truth that when Paul wrote, we no longer fight flesh and blood. In their mind, that was radical. And he's someone that has been to, in a sense, third heaven, as the Scripture says. And he comes down and he starts revealing something about when we're living in a culture that is being empowered by the unseen realm in the wrong way and in the wrong direction. We need to take a stand, but we have armor so that we are less affected. 
And that's actually what he's talking about. So, verse 10, he says, be strong. We'll read it in a minute. But then he says, how to be strong. And he says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. How many of you have run out of your own strength? If you haven't, you probably will someday. It's a good day. It's a hard day, but it's a good day. You just run out. You're like, I can't do it anymore. The Lord says, okay, finally, will you let me take over? When you gave me your life, I took that literally. Your life is mine. And he says, be strong in the Lord. Then he tells you how, by putting on armor. Then he tells you why we need to be strong, because there is a fight. And so somebody can read Ephesians 6 and become very warfare-focused. And we are going to talk a little bit about warfare this morning. But the point of Ephesians 6 is actually not so much fighting, but withstanding. And putting yourself in the truth in such a way that all the wiles and the lies and the stuff that's going on in a culture that is departing from the Lord, you can stand in peace. That's, it's not to fight, it's to stand. So, can we read? Ephesians 6, verse 10 onwards says, Finally, my brethren... Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Then it tells you how. Put on. Can you guys say put on? Great. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to stand against the wiles. That word wiles is methods in the Greek. Methodia. Stand against the methods of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities against powers, against the rulers, that is, cosmic rulers, of the darkness of this age, of the church age. So they, I said this last week, there are principalities, there are powers, there are demonic beings, things that are actually given charge by the enemy to make sure that darkness, that word darkness, skotos, is the same word when it says the enemy blinds the minds of unbelievers. The enemy has things in place to make sure that people's minds and thoughts and thinkings and beliefs stay darkened. That's, in a sense, their only job. This is what the Bible is saying. Against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So it says we wrestle here, but they're in heavenly places. Where are you seated in the new covenant? For we are seated with Christ where? In heavenly places. And so sometimes we need to stand for truth. Some of the stuff that's going on, and I went over this politically, some of it last week. Some of it is vile and terrible, but what happens is we make people our fight. And sometimes, no matter how much you stand for truth and have love in your heart for that person, you have nothing against them, but you have to hold the line, they will never see love. The Bible says, when truth has fallen in the street, you will become prey, those who stand for righteousness. So when you stand for righteousness and truth has fallen in the street, even though you do it with the right heart, it will cost you, and people will come after you, and the culture will mock you. We know this. We're going to get there. So you can't always convince the person that you love them. Leave that up to the Lord. But stand for justice and for truth in our day. But he says, 
Therefore, the darkness of this gate, spiritual host of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole, can you say take up? The whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So, the enemy, very quickly, I'm not going to focus on this because I don't like to give him any focus. The enemy has a very organized, structured system and hierarchy. This is all over the New Testament. Derek Prince puts Ephesians 6 this way. For our wrestling match is not against persons with bodies. I love how practical this guy was. But against rulers with various areas, that's geographical areas, and descending orders of authority against the world dominators of the present darkness and against spiritual hosts or armies of wickedness in heavenly places. So the enemy has a very structured and hierarchical kingdom or system. And we learn certain things. I'm just going to run you through four. The enemy has schemes. The Bible says we are not... We should not be unaware of his devices. You've heard me say this, that word devices, 2 Corinthians 2.11, is actually the word for mind. The enemy has a way of thinking. He has a way of thinking. And that's why we start, in a sense, with the helmet of salvation. Because once a person gets saved, the Bible says, once you get saved, you now regard no one according to the flesh. In other words, once I get saved, I learn to think like he thinks. And it changes my perspective of people, even people that don't like you. From that moment, once a person becomes a new creation, they have access to the mind of Christ. And that takes some learning. But the enemy has a way of thinking. The enemy, it says this in 1 Timothy 4 and John 8, you can go read it. The enemy has a doctrine and a belief system. You know that? The Bible says that in the last days there will be doctrines of demons. I know this is very spiritual for some of you, but this is what the Bible teaches. The enemy has a belief system. He has a doctrine. And it's one of destruction and death and to kill and to steal and to destroy. My son, when he was, I think he was four or five, it was Matthew, and we caught him in a lie. And uh, so I explained to him that lying is bad for him. Not just try to get out of trouble, that lying makes it worse. And I wrote down what he said, and I saw him thinking and thinking and thinking, and still try, obviously trying to get out of trouble, right? He's like, Dad, that's absolutely true. You know, I've learned my lesson. Just trying to, you know, trying to get out of trouble. That night, he's looking at me at the dinner table. He says this. He says, Daddy, the devil was the one who started lies, right? And I said, yes, Jesus said that. He is the father of them. Father means to come forth from. And he says, he's been alive from the beginning. So I told him that. He says, so the devil was the one who started lies, right? I said, yes. He then said, it's like the devil built a lying machine. And he wants everyone else to use it so they would be trapped. He was five or six. I remember going, the Lord is speaking to me. (laughs) And I wrote it down. The enemy has cunning and deceitful methods. We just read that in Ephesians 6, Methodia. He has methods. And his methods are old, and he knows them well. The enemy does this geographically through principalities which set up strongholds. You see that in Daniel 10, but I want to read you this in Ephesians 2 to show you what I mean. And you he made alive, that's when you got saved, Ephesians 2, verse 1 to 3, 
who were dead in trespasses and sins. Yeah, in the old nature, you were born on the earth dead in sin. So you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now watch the phrase according to. You'll see throughout the day. According to. According to. He says, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. In other words, just everything around about you. Responding to the world, to people, to everything just from the old nature. You once walked according to the course of this world. Then it says according to. So the course of this world is according to the prince of the power of the air. Who's that? Who's that? Satan. So the course of the world, in which we all once walked before we were saved, is according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. And so the enemy sets, has principalities. He sets up geographical, that's why it's different. In every place, in every country, there are geographical principalities. And those principalities form strongholds. And a stronghold has a stronghold. You can get good ones and bad ones. David learned how to use strongholds very strategically. And we can actually build strongholds of truth in the heart. A stronghold is a place you run into when the battle is still going on, but you get to take a, breath, uh, take a rest and take a breather and kind of sleep, maybe get equipped and go back and carry on. We are called in our day to actually build strongholds of truth so that as the lies come, it's like truth is exploding within us and it doesn't affect us the way it used to which I wish I had time to go into that, but we don't. But the enemy forms strongholds. It's like a fortress. It's like a castle in the unseen realm, and it's dictating, trying to dictate and cause everybody in that location, in that area, in that nation, in that state to think a certain way. That is happening very much so in our day. When as many people that are brilliant, smart, well-educated can start to do to children what they're doing now when they can tell me that a pedophile is a sexual preference, that is stupid. But some of them believe it with all their heart. Where's that coming from? Are you guys... Is this making sense? So, I'll throw up a picture. This is, in a sense, what it is like to wear armor. I think I love that picture. That's what happens when we pray. That's what happens when we worship in the Spirit. So, let's move on. We're going to talk about very quickly, put on, before we get to the actual armor, put on. He says in verse 10, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to do what? To stand against all these methods that the enemy brings against you. That phrase, put on, in dio, it's one Greek word. It's getting dressed, and I'll explain what I mean. This has to do with your identity. The phrase there, in dio, actually means sink into clothing. In the Old Testament, the garments you wore, what you wore physically, 
was an identity marker. You could see a person, a warrior, a king, a noble, a Levite, a priest, or whatever, by the clothes they wore. It was far away. You could see that person is A. It's actually like that in, in heaven as well, it seems, from the book of Revelation. And it says, put on the whole armor of God. Well, let's go to Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3. It says to us, we're doing a study this morning. Can you guys do a study with me? It says, but you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conduct, that's when you walked in the course of this world, concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on, in dio, same word, that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Colossians 3. So there's that put on. Put on the whole armor. You put on the new man. Colossians 3. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on, in dio, the new man who is renewed in knowledge. Both times. Put on the new man. It has to do with how you think. Put on the new man. And it has to do with how you think. Who is renewed in knowledge according to... Ephesians says according to God. This says according to the image of Him who created Him, being us. What knowledge? What does it mean, the new man, renewed in knowledge? Sometimes we read stuff in the Bible. We, it's like we, what does that mean? What knowledge? The knowledge of God. And the Bible actually says in 2 Corinthians that they are... There are, in the principalities and powers, it says, for weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but it says that there are self-high things and self-exalted things from the enemy that come against the knowledge of God. Because there's a battle, and we feel it here and here, but we see it outplayed in the culture. So when it says, put on the whole armor of God, it's like, get dressed it's put on. It's get used to. It's when you go to the army every morning, you, they, you just have to learn to just get dressed real fast in a new uniform. When you get saved, we learn to put on. We learn to think different. We learn to see different. And every day, in a sense, we just get dressed differently. It's part of your new creation, part of the, the new man, part of the new life, part of the new way, part of everything in the new covenant, we get dressed, we put on Christ. We put on, we wake up and recognize I'm a new creation. So I put on Christ. I put on the whole armor of God. But then later, it says in verse uh, 13, it says, therefore, take up huh, the whole armor of God. So it says, put on, that's just every day. Get dressed. Think according to your new nature. Think according to the new man. Put on Christ. It's an identity issue. But then it says, take up. And if you read it, it's like that word take up is in the Greek, analambano, which is actually important. Lambano, receive. Acts 1.8. 
And you will receive power when he that the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's Lambano, receive. It's everything we receive from the Lord. You can't earn it, you receive it. When he says take up, he very specifically uses that phrase, analambano, meaning take up, learn to take up the things which the Lord has given to you. So get dressed. Get dressed every day. We just, we read the word. We, in a sense, get dressed. We put on the new man. We're learning to not see people even though they're coming at us differently, you know, we're not re reacting at them. We just put on the new man, put on the new man. But then it says, now take up. It's like every day in the Marines or in the Army or in the Air Force, you all get up, you all get ready, you all get dressed. But then there comes a day when you've been doing that for a few years where that's just habit. And now battle comes and you take up. And you fight. Take up is practical use. Take up. But you can only, in this is saying in the Greek, you can only pick up things that you have received from the Lord. Because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, in other words fleshly, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. In other words, you can't use a carnal weapon... Even a good idea, even a, you can't fight people in a sense or ideas the way you used to before you got saved. Because the battle is a spiritual battle. So we need to do practical things, absolutely. We don't want to be so super spiritual that it's weird. But I'm trying to show you, this is what the Bible is saying. That we have a warfare that is spiritual so unless we use spiritual weapons, nothing changes. No matter how much effort you expend. And the weapons of our warfare are mighty in God. It's that which Christ accomplished on the cross. We stand on the victory of the cross and something arises and we take, we take up everything we've been now getting dressed every day. We worship, we're in His presence, we read, we understand, we have fellowship, and we're getting dressed. Every day, you know, the drill sergeant comes in and we all, it's like we just get dressed. Now there comes a day, take up. We take up that which we know in our heart we've actually received from the Lord. And for some, it's, there are some general things, the Word, the truth, but there are some very specific things. different gifts, different calls. I hope I'm making sense to you today. Then he says in verse 14, Stand therefore, having. See the past tense? Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Stand in place. As I said last week, there comes a day where we have to stand for the truth and justice in our day, but the way we stand matters. And that's what I want to talk to you about as fast as I can. Because if we stand in a way that we 
treat people like they treat us, that's a carnal weapon. And you may hurt that person or you may win that battle, but it will do nothing to take care of what is causing people to think like that. You may win battles, but you're using the enemy's weapons. It's like people come at you, I'm going to come right back at them. There are things that are mighty in God. There is armor, weapons that are mighty in God. And we've been going over some of them, inquiring of the Lord, praise, worship, obviously the word, the armor, which we'll talk about. That we are given from the Lord because of His victory, not because of yours. And we take up those things and we learn to stand in place. And sometimes it will cost you. In fact, often it will. But we stand in place. And it says this, stand therefore, verse 14, having, so it's something you've already done, having girded your waist with truth. We call it the belt of truth. It was like they would gird it with a garment. But girding your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all, some or all? All. Hmm. Taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all. To quench means stop the flow of. To quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. Let me just quickly say this because I don't know if I'll get there. The sword of the Spirit, when we're taught as kids, it's like when you get saved, you all get given like a spiritual sword, which is the Scripture, which is the Word of God. It says that. But it's actually better understood that we use the Holy Spirit's sword. It's the same sword. We get to use it because it's His Word. It doesn't change when it's in His hand or ours. So it says here, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly, that's what we call to, to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, and that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So, can we go through some of the armor really quick? The armor, the word armor, panoplia, it is only used here in Ephesians 6 and one other time in the Bible. In Luke chapter 11, spoken by Jesus, he says, how can you go into a strong man's house? He's talking about the devil. He says, when a strong man is in his house, actually, I'm going to read it to you. He says, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes, that's talking about, he's talking about himself, Christ. When a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor, in which he trusted, and divides his spoils. He who is not with me, it's a, it's, a, it's a staggering verse. Dwayne and I have spoken about this at length. This phrase, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. 
He's not trying to be harsh. He's trying to show us something, that there is no, in a sense, neutral ground. And anyone who's standing on neutral ground in their mind is probably not being neutral. They're just not aware of it. But there is no neutral ground. So, first to say some practical things about armor. The armor, if I say to a believer, what is the armor of God? What do we say? The belt, the shield, the sword, the this, we rattle off. But actually, we learned as children to rattle off the armor of God, but we rattle off the imagery that Paul is giving. We don't know the actual armor. He's giving imagery to help us understand something spiritual. The armor is truth and the word and righteousness and the gospel. That's the armor. But we say, because we learned as kids, the armor, the belt of truth, the breastplate, the, the shoes, the... But the armor is righteousness, preparation of the gospel, faith, salvation, the word of God. So let's talk about the breastplate. The breastplate of righteousness, the Holy Spirit, through Paul, uses Roman armor, common to all of them, to reveal, think about this, for the first time in their day, to reveal to people still today, it's not just a prayer, you pray, I'll pray on the armor of God, that's great, do that. But Paul is using something very common in their day, Roman armor, to reveal that the breastplate, that righteousness, righteousness is protection. That righteousness protects you. It offers you protection. Isn't that what he said? Are you guys alive? Righteousness protects you. And calling these things armor, truth, righteousness, salvation, the sword of the Spirit, calling these things armor reveals also to us, it's a very basic understanding, that character, righteousness, truth, that character is not just for a Christian, well, we want you to be a good little Christian, we want you to be well-behaved. We want you to perform according to how the church says you must perform. This is telling us that character is protection. Righteousness protects us because the Lord who sees what we can't and who knows what we don't sees that when, we do, when a person takes an action or when a person does something, it has a corresponding action in the unseen realm. And the Bible says, he says, there's no neutral ground. If you don't gather with me, you scatter. There's no neutral ground. When you do something, it matters. And the Lord is not just, I want you to be a good little Christian. He's saying, these things, righteousness, truth, it is like armor to you. It protects you. See, when we see, friends, that because we have become, and this may shake some of you, but when we have become children of God, how blessed is that that we have the right to become children of God. That word right is authority. When we become saved, when we become Christians, there is a radical shift that takes place in the spirit realm over your life. You are a new creation. And part of that is you become part of the family of God, and the scriptures say you get given authority. 
And partly because of that authority, when we do something, it matters. It's not about, I know, it's not about trying to be perfect, but there is actually a responsibility that we learn as we grow in the Lord. There's a responsibility of being part of the family of God. We have such authority according to our new creation that our actions and our words and our deeds actually do something. And sometimes, with the right heart, we can empower the wrong kingdom. Is this... Because we have authority. How did the devil get authority originally? Because he had none of his own. He got it from Adam. By deceiving the son, in a sense, the first man, by deceiving Adam, a son of God, we're all sons and daughters of God, but deceiving Adam, he took from him authority because he had none of his own. Friends, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. He has methods, he has wiles, he has ways of thinking, and he has strongholds that he has set up to cause culture and people to think a certain way because he knows that in deceiving them, he strips their authority. The original armor of God in Isaiah 59, talking about when the Messiah comes, he says he saw that there was no man and he wondered that there was no intercessor. We read this last week. Therefore, his own arm brought, him, brought salvation for him. Our arm cannot save us, but what Christ has done can. We know that. And his righteousness and his own righteousness, it sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. What does it mean, his own righteousness, it sustained him? Jesus said this, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In John 14, he said, I won't talk with you much longer. The ruler of this world is coming, talking about the enemy, but he has nothing in me. What does it look like practically when Jesus was on the earth and it says, when the Messiah comes, the prophetic word, his own righteousness will sustain him. What did it look like? It looked like letting the world not affect him and letting the enemy have nothing in him. So, it's the same actually for us. And you could take this as a condemnatory way. I, I pray you don't. But it doesn't make it not true. When the scripture says that the breastplate of righteousness is his armor, there is the righteousness of Christ that we all wear. That actually protects us from judgment against sin, because that judgment was put on Jesus. But there is the righteousness, the implanted righteousness, the character, moral virtue, that because of grace, it teaches us to say no to sin, and we start recognizing that as our character and strength of character and fortitude, and we are not affected by the world. We are in the world, but not of it. We don't just look like them and just say something else. As that starts to take place in our hearts, implanted practical righteousness in terms of how we live, that becomes like armor so that the enemy can't get to you. 
In the 1600s, Matthew Henry said this, the righteousness of Christ implanted in us is our breastplate to fortify the heart against the enemy. Now, the problem in the church is people go to other Christians and say, you shouldn't do that, and you shouldn't do that, and you shouldn't do that. Well, that doesn't help because the only way to change a human heart is the love of God that the Holy Spirit sheds abroad in the heart, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and repentance. And the Holy Spirit is in charge of all three. So what happens is we have a revelation of something. We see, gee, my righteousness, not my righteousness to earn salvation. That's filthy rags. But I have morality and righteousness, and I won't partake with the evil deeds of darkness, as the Bible says all over the New Testament. And when we start to do that out of love for the Lord, and we actually have practical righteousness, it actually becomes to us like a breastplate. And the enemy can't get into the heart and into the mind. I trust that makes sense to you. Shoes of readiness, I'm going to skip over this. I'm going to skip over that. That's hard for a preacher to do. Just so you know, I'm proud of myself right now. So, the belt of truth and the sword of the Spirit. Having your, girded your waist with truth. Truth, symbolically, is the belt. I get that. But truth is not really part of the armor in terms of the belt. It's that which actually holds everything together. The sword hang on the, on the belt. The breastplate was locked into the belt. The truth is what actually holds everything together. And it is truth, and always truth, and always first truth, that comes under attack in every generation. Why? Why? Why does truth come under such attack? Obviously, the spiritual battle, but why? What is the nature of truth? Truth makes you free. Truth makes free. Truth sets at liberty, John 8, 32. But when does truth make you free? For you will know, you will abide in my word, and then you will know the truth, and then truth will make you free. Truth makes you free when we use it, when we have revelation of it, not just intellectual knowledge, when we use it. And truth is so, so important that when we, the, 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 when the scripture says this, let me read it to you, um, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That word, word, is rhema, not logos. Logos, But when truth, we get dressed with truth every day, Logos, we just get dressed every day. But it goes from Logos to Rhema, it goes to a sword in our hands when it comes revelation to you. When it comes alive to you. When it's, ah, and it penetrates your heart and it changes something. And, and now you, it's like I was, you now you have authority in that area. But then situations arise, a conversation arises, something happens to challenge that truth. Because the enemy doesn't want you being free. Because once you're free, you can free others. It's really simple. So he doesn't want that. So revelation, we, put, we get dressed every day. We just get dressed. We read. We get dressed. Then, wah, revelation. Because I'm girded with truth. It's holding everything together. Then a challenge comes to challenge the truth that he just showed me. Now I have a decision. A conversation at the water cooler. 
an issue in my family, an issue in my mind, you're nothing, you're useless, a fear of my future, whatever the fiery dart is, it's gonna, a challenge arises, I stand therefore, and now I have a sword in my hand because I have rhema, revelation, not what somebody else knows, not what I've just been taught, what I know, what, like my dad always says, like I know, like I know, like I know. Before I even have words, I know it. In that area, the sword goes, the truth goes from a belt to a sword. And it's the sword of the Spirit. It is the only thing that cuts and slices in the unseen realm. The only thing. The revealed, implanted Word of God. It is what Jesus did in the desert. It is written. But if we don't get dressed every day, and we don't get ready, we can't take up something. We're not really, uh, I know the Bible says this, like, you know, he said. It's like a person is never going to take up a sword that they think may break on the first strike. They're not convinced. They're not con there's no conviction. It's just, ah. Uh, and so we go back to just using carnal weapons. And then we, I'm sorry to be, this is actually good news. And then we blame the Lord. Doesn't work. Didn't work. He let me down. No, friends. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. I'm going to have to end it there. Let me talk to you quickly then about the shield of faith. It says, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench. They used to take Roman shield. Romans, it was a Roman practice. and Paul was a Roman citizen who wrote this. They used to take shields and soak them in water. I said this, I think, last week. So that when the fiery darts, you know, they would shoot the arrows. When the fiery darts would come and hit the shield, it would quench the fire. Paul, the Holy Spirit, is saying, through Paul, that the shield of faith, what is faith, friends? Faith is a conviction about things that I don't see. I've become convinced about something. It's become real to me. It's become something that even I make my decisions by it. It's real. It's not just church. It's real. Faith is when, in a sense, in that area, it's real. And that conviction of things I don't see becomes like a shield around about you. And sometimes it stops. Like we don't, we're not even aware as much anymore of all the attack. Because something has happened in our heart where it's like, as they come near, they quenched, they quenched, they quenched. And those arrows, missiles actually in the Greek, <laughs> those missiles, those arrows, they are lies and fear and doubt and according to the course of this world and according to the culture. And he sends a barrage of them and sometimes we get overwhelmed and every one, once in a while, one gets through, whack! And it hurts. 
and unfortunately, there is more friendly fire in the church. <laughs> Hello. There's so much friendly fire in the church. How can we stand against the enemy when we're all shooting arrows at one another? Because they didn't like me and they didn't smile at me. Whack! Gossip, slander. And it's like we get hit. Something gets through. And you know that lies and truth have a similar thing. They reproduce. And when a lie gets through the shield, the faith that I have in the Lord, a lie gets through. Whack! It starts to reproduce that same culture in my heart. It's like it wants to create a greenhouse so the lie can grow and start to overtake my mind and the way I think and the way I respond to people, the way I react to people. And so that's why I had the sword here last week. A Roman gladius was a very short sword, actually quite short, because they would be out for you know, months at a time. And it is actually written in there that when an arrow gets through, they would turn the sword on themselves and start to dig out the arrow. When a lie pierces the heart, that's when we take the sword, which is the Word of God, the revelation of God that we have in our hearts, the revelation of truth, and we actually apply it to ourselves. And we start to take that truth and start to say, I dig this out, Lord. I'm righteous in you. I thank you the way you see me. I will not respond to that person like this because they maybe have a blinded mind. This is armor. <laughs> I, I didn't mean to be as much all over today as I was. But it's armor. There are things in the spirit realm that are coming at this generation more than maybe ever before. And because a former generation doesn't understand it, we can't let them stand alone. And telling them that they shouldn't be like this or they shouldn't think like this does not help them. Because sometimes the best way to fight the enemy is to first let him have none of you. The world has nothing in me. The devil has nothing in me, Jesus said. Because when he has none of you, the clarity of what is true, the clarity of the knowledge of God, what God knows to be true, is so quick and sharp and crystal clear that all the stuff happening in our culture, I mean, is male and female. That's it. I, I just, I don't know why we even have to talk about it. But all the stuff that's happening in the culture that people are becoming convinced of, and I don't mean that, obviously it's not you, it's every other Christian, is partly because the church has got a thousand arrows of culture in their body, and it's trying to reproduce in them. We need to learn again to put on the armor, because when we do that, and when we become freer, in a sense, that is a sign to a person, when you, they come at you and you don't come back at them, they want to know why. And then they do it again and still nothing. And they do it again and still love. And I can disagree with you, but I can also love you and help you build this or do that. When that starts to become real, because the arrows are not building the same culture in our heart, but we have a Christian language. 
Paul said, there is armor that God has given to saints that unbelievers don't have. Would you have compassion if you saw in the spirit that every unbeliever is riddled with arrows? We are called to not have them. And that takes time where truth becomes conviction. And we can stand for truth and justice. But we can do it in a way that looks like Jesus. Because that, not only, they may still hate you and not like you, but that, the way we do it, is actually what brings change there. I hope that helps you. Bless you. Why don't we stand? Why don't we stand? You see, Jesus gave his disciples a strategy. It's not often talked about because it's not exciting and it's not fun. It's not like, woo, breakthrough. Jesus gave his disciples a strategy. You know what it was? You're going to do this and the world's going to hate you. That's what he said. You're going to live for truth. You're going to speak my word. The world's going to hate you. They're going to hate you because I've taken you out of the world. And you look at the first eight chapters of Acts. Almost every single time they got to present the gospel, it was after they were ridiculed, mocked, beaten, hurt, but their response was not in fear. It was not, I'm a doormat. Their response was gracious. Every time they got hit, they knew, oh, there's an opportunity coming for us to share the truth. And they got to stand in front of the council, the Sanhedrin, in front of kings, in front of governors, because of the way they reacted to attack. And the gospel began to spread. It is a strategy long forgotten in our day, but it's hard to do that if we're fighting internally, if the battle is raging in here, it's hard to do that. And if every time we take a stand, all the other Christians shoot you, how dare you say that? How dare you do that? Friends, we, that needs to stop. We need to stand together as God's people. Not against, but to be a light for Anyway, I need to stop. <laughs> Josh, can you come pray for us? Bless you, friends. I trust it was helpful. Go home. I encourage you to read it. Ephesians 6. Ask the Lord. Show me my armor. Show it to me. Bless you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and all the armor that we just went through today, Lord, and I just pray that would uh, pierce our hearts, Lord, and penetrate with truth into our spirits, Lord, that we would put on that armor and not take it off and begin to walk in the revelation that you are with us and you are for us and not against. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.